Welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside Podcast. My name is Ginny Urich and you're in for a treat today. Maria Bridge from the Center for Humane Technology is here. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome. Thanks for having me. So Maria, we've kind of been searching you out for a while. I have talked to this man, Dr. Nicholas Carderis, twice over the past year. He has written two books. One of them is Glow Kids, and that's about screen addiction and sort of highlighting back when people really didn't know. It was back before The Social Dilemma. He talks about how it wasn't quite accepted then that screens could have these harmful effects. So he wrote that book for parents so that they could, they knew. He's like, parents knew, but then they would go and people would say, no, it's not a thing. And so he was kind of clearing that up. And then very recently, he wrote a follow-up book called Digital Madness, where the point is, if we know that these screens are causing issues, what should be our response? And in that conversation, he brought up the Center for Humane Technology and this question of ethics, which I had never in my life thought about. And so for a while then, we've we've been trying to track your company down. And so this is a total thrill for me to be able to have you on. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I know you've had this path. I mean, you are the COO at the Center for Humane Technology, and you've worked all sorts of other places. So tell us about you. Yeah, happy to share. Hopefully it's useful. So I did not start my career in the nonprofit world, which is where I am now. I actually started out, I grew up in Texas and then um, ended up working management consulting at the beginning of my career. I really wanted to solve tricky strategic problems, which actually comes back and factors into our work now. Mm. And also just really love being parts of teams and working with people. And a lot of my work doing management consulting for big Fortune 500 companies in the early days was on ended up being on consumer behavior and consumer insights and organizational behavior and organizational change, which all factors into the work now that I'm doing with our nonprofit, the Center for Humane Technology, which is a lot about how do we understand human psychology, human behavior, and the role that technology is having on those things. And then how do we spark widespread culture change to understanding these things and shifting the way we relate to tech, how we build tech and have it be better for society better for humanity. So that's where I started off my career. I ended up going to business school. I worked at some startups that people might know of um, that were great and very uh, more socially responsible, trying to you know do good in the world through the still you know for-profit organizations. And as my career kind of unfolded, I just kept feeling like more and more, well, how do I give back to like the biggest issues that there are out there? It's that led me more into the nonprofit space and ultimately to the Center for Humane Technology about a year and a half ago. And knew that when I was like looking around and thinking like, what are the biggest issues of our time? Mm. Climate change was right up there. And I thought about entering into climate change space. It was also had a longstanding mindfulness meditation practice. So I was also interested in maybe doing something around that. And then the third one was like, what do we do about tech? (laughs) So Mm -hmm. increasingly seeing this was like a big thing. So I kind of reflected on where I wanted to focus my energy into doing good in the world. And there are fortunately a lot of really smart people working on climate right now. And I felt like that if we didn't get the tech piece right, we actually were not going to be able to coordinate on the bigger challenges like climate change as well. So that kind of kept leading me towards Mm. tech. I also was really interested in using my business background skills. And so, yeah, I, I started looking to enter into the world of ethical, responsible technology and Center for Humane Technology or CHT, as we call it shorthand was at the top of the list because it was trying to take this like unique systems view to approach things so that we really understand the root causes and don't address just the symptoms to fix and get mm. like sh- short-term fixes, but really focusing on the root cause issues. So that's like a little career arc. Happy to fill yeah. in any other stuff is useful. Yeah. I mean, that's a really interesting to learn your story. And this is what I'm curious about. Are there other organizations like CHT? I mean, this is a topic that I really haven't heard of too much. Yeah, there are, there are, fortunately, there are many people who are working on this. And I think more than people realize, and even more than people who are interested in this topic, or even working in this topic, maybe sometimes 
feel. So it's typical, something we hear is that people who are out there and are feeling this disconnection, something's wrong, like about how our world is evolving. And we mm-hmm. see that in our own personal lives with technology. We see that in our families. We see that in our communities. But sometimes there can be this feeling of like, am I the only one feeling this, seeing mm-hmm. this? So we hear that a lot. And what we're actually trying to do in the upcoming phases of our work are trying to build more of that community around yeah. people knowing that a lot of people care about this. Yeah. And knowing that it's really even a thing because I learned about you, but I just learned about the concept of who's dealing with the ethical questions through Cardaris's book, yeah. Digital Madness. Can you tell the story of the Center for Humane Technology? So I've seen the social dilemma. I think probably a lot of people who are listening to this podcast have seen the social dilemma where it talks about what's going on behind the scenes at a lot of these tech companies. And was that the path? Yeah, it actually even predates that, but I'm happy to give the overviews. So Tristan Harris is our co-founder and executive director, and he started working on this issue in 2013, which made him working on this for almost a decade now. And he kind of had this aha moment where he had been working in tech, working in Silicon Valley, had a startup, was product designer, manager, you know, coming from a technical background. And had kind of done the Silicon Valley startup thing and didn't work out. He ended up at Google and was just seeing how these very powerful technologies like Gmail are hijacking our attention and are changing our behaviors. And was like, what are we, who, how are we designing this? Like, what are we designing this for? We're designing this for stickiness to keep people using stuff. But are we really designing this with people's total well-being in mind? Like who's mm-hmm. tracking that? This is where the ethics piece comes in. Right. So you think about something as simple as Gmail and now on our phones, like you pull to refresh it. And that's like a slot machine behavior. And that's by design. So he was looking at that. And it talks a little bit about this in the film, The Social Dilemma, which is on Netflix. It's a documentary talking about social media in particular. But just to back up, like this predates to like all tech, you know, it's like this stuff is really powerful. So that's what he was um, kind of starting to realize, started talking about that within Google and actually got quite a lot of traction. But Google's a big organization. You can't just like change things like that. So there's this whole period for like four years where he was talking about, hey, this is like, this is an issue. This tech, Gmail, Google search... That's kind of funny now, but you know, Facebook, early days, Facebook, Mm -hmm. this stuff is powerful and we're not paying attention to this. Like, how does this work with humans and what's best for people? And kind of no one was listening is what it felt like. So a big turning point was 2017, where he um, had a TED talk and then was featured on 60 Minutes. And both of those things Mm -hmm. kind of like propelled things a bit forward. And that's when the foundation for or the Center for Humane Technology was founded back in early like 2018. And so Mm -hmm. that's the genesis of our nonprofit. And then, uh, yeah, from there where we got like a big upswell in people starting to understand this as a bigger issue was the Social Dilemma film. And so Mm -hmm. that's a documentary on Netflix. A lot of people think we produced it. We actually are not like film producers. We did not produce that film, but we helped a lot with the development of it. And then Mm -hmm. Tristan's the central protagonist within the film, Mm -hmm. explaining how social media affects our minds and our world. Um, And that was just more than 10x popular than people in like the best case thought that it was going to be. It was just wildly received. <laughs> wow. Well, it's phenomenal. It's wildly interesting. It was phenomenally done. And I think it answered the questions or some of the questions that people kind of knew what the answers were, but everyone was saying, no, 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 that's not happening. That's not really a thing. And that's sort of what that Dr. Nicholas Carderis was talking about too, was that it was finally like the light bulb moment where you understand, oh, this is why I feel crummy. This is why I can't turn it off. This is why my child is acting like a monster. All of these different things. And it almost gave people permission to have those conversations that they couldn't have before and to even have the thoughts maybe that they felt they couldn't have before. And so your organization is dealing with ethics. And like I said before, it's something that I hadn't ever really thought of. Although as I was preparing for this, there's this Nicholas Carderison. I've started to read the book about the singularity. (laughs) There's this like promise versus peril. And I was thinking about how the iPod well, here's the, here's the question. Do you think that the gurus, the ones who are making the things, the ones who are driven, who are brilliant, do you think that they know there's going to be a problem down the road? Or do you think that they don't know and then stuff just rolls ahead? 
Great question. I think that it is maybe a combo of both, but I think generally people just aren't thinking about this. How these tech products get built, it's not like one person. It's a whole team of people and maybe you know, maybe working on a small slice of something. And so they're not thinking about maybe how that unites to the bigger pieces or how that's going to the downstream consequences we talk mm-hmm. a lot about. So like what that's going to lead to further years out into the years into being out in the world. Right. This is the exact example that I was thinking of. We have five kids and they are 14 down to six. So the older three are, you know, 11, 13, 14. They're getting into music, you know, when you're in that age and you really like mm-hmm. music. And so I remember reading that when Steve Jobs made the iPod, which I remember when that came out, you know, I remember like the buzz and how cool that little scroll wheel thing was and how you could take all of your music with you. And then he made, there was a little one. It was like the iPod shuffle. It seemed like the coolest thing. And what I read was that was his original intent. It was supposed to be a portable music player. Well, then it morphed into the phone and now you can't buy an iPod, right? So you can only buy the iPhone. You can't go back and buy the iPod. So there's no way for our kids to listen to music unless they have one of these devices. Mm -hmm. I don't think we have searched high and low. There's no iPod anymore. So if that was his original intent and now this has sort of snowballed. And so it's an issue like we're not buying them CDs. You know, they're not taking around a CD player. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so that's that sort of promise versus peril, which is, I mean, I remember how excited I was about it. It's the coolest thing ever, this iPod. And now, however many years later, I'm like, this is kind of a pain because I don't want my 13-year-old to have a phone, but she wants to listen to music when she goes on walks. So it's, it's interesting how things change and you're heralded for putting something out in the world. It's exciting. And then it's like we're playing catch up. Yeah, absolutely. I think that this is where a lot of what we're trying to shift within technologists building tech is this mental, like the mental model from which they are designing new technology, whether it's products like hardware products like the iPod or it's social media apps or it's uh, other types of software that we're trying to have them think through how they can rather than just like maximize profit or, you know, engagement at all costs or, um, you know, we're just, you know, like we're hands off, like we're just, we're just designing this stuff. Like we don't, you know, it's up to Mm -hmm. people how they use it. Like we can't control people. Mm. It's like, but there is an interaction that's happening. So we're trying to shift people to understanding your broader, like new ways, new ways of thinking that are more aligned with humanity's best interests. Like how do we minimize, how do we design to minimize consequences? How do we think about people who are unlike us, who may be using this product in different ways years down the road um, that we may not have considered? How do we make sure that we're designing for, you know, fairness and, and justice? And how do we think about all these different externalities that could be happening again, farther down the road that we may not Mm-hmm. Be, might not be thinking about now that we can design for at the beginning um, to put in those different guardrails. Right. It's like you wonder if someone thought, if there was a thought like, oh, this iPod technology could easily be changed into a phone. And should we keep just the music player piece for people who really just want music and don't want all of these other things? Well, what happens on the inside of a company? Is there an ethics team? Is there typically not an ethics team? And like, who are those decision makers? Yeah. Oh, so this is a, this is a big one. (laughs) And some of the, a lot of our work focuses on social media because it's particularly problematic because it's so interconnected and it's so powerful. And it started to, as you're talking about the phone replaced, like kind of taking over, okay, well now we don't have iPods. It's like integrated in the phone. Some of our social media platforms are like, okay, journalists are making sense of the world through Twitter and we're buying and selling things on Facebook marketplace or doing, you know, you know, finding like we're using these platforms for everything. Yeah. It's become everything. I'm on Instagram and like every single day they're rolling out with these new things. Like what is going yeah. on? And it's a change. Like for a long time, it was the same, 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 same. You post one photo a day. And if you post more than that, it's like sort of against the unwritten social media rules. And then all of a sudden, it seemed like the whole thing changed. And it's like, now you can do this. And now you have that. And here's this feature and that feature and hidden gems. And like what is going on? Something yeah. changed there. It moves fast. 
podcast. So to your question, who's who's tracking all this? <laughs> who's the ethics team? There are uh, within the social, take social media teams. There are groups of professionals called integrity integrity workers or trust and safety professionals. This is kind of a new field. Like mm. people are just starting to talk about this. I think outside of, I think they know, need better names in tech. They need better names, Maria. <laughs> like yeah, a you, trust yeah, and safety worker. It sounds like someone who's going to help you cross the street. You know, they're wearing a big yellow yeah. <laughs> or orange, you know, orange vest. <laughs> well, those teams are in place. So there are these teams within, you know, let's take like Meta, Facebook or Twitter or uh, Snapchat or TikTok or whatever. There are these teams that are in there, but they're, you know, they're one team and they're advocating on behalf of people's sometimes just safety. Like forget about just like, oh, are you, you know, it's like, this is good for people. It's like, no, people are actually like in danger in certain parts of the world based on this or election. There's election interference happening. So they're all covering those those topics. And then they're working with other parts of the organizations to try and advocate for changes that are going to benefit people. I can tell you from doing a lot of years of consulting, a lot of years uh, working at Fortune 500 companies that it really, you know, you can have like a team that is in place, but disempowered. It's like, who's actually listening to them? And that depends on leadership. Right. Because do they really want to yes. listen to them? Because it really probably right. is. It's one of those things that's really tricky because you think, okay, let's say there's all these big names out there. There's Google, there's Meta, there's Twitter, there's these, all these different big names. And it's like, well, if one of them does it, but the other two don't, then that one is in some way at a disadvantage financially because they are no longer capturing yes. the attention. So it's yes. really tricky. Yes. This is, this is the critical problem is that it's the, this is the we often referred to as an arms race or uh, lately are playing around with the idea of an invisible prison um, is that we're caught, like we as people who are using this are also caught in it, but the, the platforms themselves are caught in this bad game where if they don't do it, then someone else is going to do it, which is why we see. So TikTok is the social media platform that's captured, is capturing people's attention better than anything else. Mm -hmm. So that's why we're seeing YouTube shorts. Yeah. And that's why Instagram, I think, changed. Instagram. Yeah. That's Mm -hmm. why Instagram's changing. It's why Facebook's changing is because whether they, you know, they're like, okay, this may not be good for people, but that desire and the need to make, keep making profits and financial returns, which is how that structure is set up is bumping up against was well, this really good for people? Where is that line? It's not like black or white. They're playing with that line on different things. Mm-hmm. So what's encouraging is that integrity is like a as a field that people can enter into and trust and safety seems to be picking up steam. People are realizing these are people who actually and they do they like really care about trying to make the mm-hmm. platform safer. That's good news. Like good people in there trying really hard working really hard, um, growing field. The not so good news is that these are really small teams. I believe, you know, they may be, uh, this isn't precise, but I did talk to someone who was at Twitter for three years in trust and safety. And I made a joke like, yeah, do you have like 15 people on the team? And she just said something like, no, no, there were 40. And this is for a platform that has almost 300 million people. And there's 40 people in trust and safety. Well, and it's one of those things that how do you even get, I'm always curious about the types of job fields that are out there that you would never know are out there. So how do you even get into the field of technology ethics? I mean, I would imagine that's a rather new field. It is. It is. We have a podcast in our podcast. We have to ask us anything podcast. And one of our listeners was, I'm a student and I'm really interested in doing like technology ethics. And we're like, yes, we're so happy. Yeah. <laughs> so people are starting to turn towards this and uh, there aren't programs for it yet in schools that we're aware of. Um, we do have a free course that takes about eight to 10 hours to go through for people who are interested in this. That is a, it's on our website at humanetech.com, which is a good a good thing to for people interested, if there are any young people out there listening or people with young people in that age range, high school or college, that is a good thing to look to. But there's yeah, it's still emerging. And yeah. I think there'll be a lot more demand for it. And there's some other resources I can point yeah. people to. Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. 
Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So get started today and get after your goals. Some of the things we love about Factor are their two-minute meals. You can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Our kids love the pancakes, smoothies, and more. And there's a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, including midday bites. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And remember, to sign up and save, we've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash outside50 and use code outside50 to get 50% off. That's code outside50 at factormeals.com slash outside50 to get 50% off. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Question, what's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Read a few chapters of that book, start painting that guest bedroom, tackle that pile of laundry, play a card game with your kids. A lot of us spending our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. If you're feeling stuck, therapy is something that can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is a wonderful thing. It can help you learn positive coping skills or show you how to navigate properly setting boundaries. With BetterHelp, it's easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and visit BetterHelp.com slash 1000 hours to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash 1000 hours. Yeah, so not only are you sort of the unpopular team in the, because you're the one that's pushing back on everything that everyone wants to push forward, you don't really have the training for it. I mean, there's a whole host of reasons, I'm sure, why Oh yeah, it's hard to even have the, like you said, who wants to be on a disempowered team? And yeah, it's really important. Right. I could imagine there's a lot of, you got to really dig deep to stay on a team like that and to know that your impact is really important. Okay, well, you started to talk about your website. So let's walk through some of the things that are there. Everything on your website is free at Human tech.com. So one of the things is the ledger where you are walking, and there's so many things there. There's the youth toolkit. You have a link to the podcast called Your Undivided Attention, which has over 15 million downloads, 60 episodes there. You have a monthly newsletter. There's a lot on the website, the course that you talked about. But can we start with the ledger? Because I had taken a bunch of notes about sure. that. Yeah. And <laughs> what are some of the main issues that we are up against here? Yeah. So the ledger of harms, which is um, the URL is ledger.humanetech.com. It is our, I like to call it our research roundup. So this is where we say, here are some different harm areas that we're seeing from mainly from social media, but also just from, you know, screen time tech usage on different facets of our world. And so, you know, what are the harms to kids? What are harms to our attention Mm. and cognition? What are harms to our elections? Um, And it pulls research from different, you know, peer reviewed or respected publications. And it has a little blurb about it and then link to the underlying research. And so this is meant to be a hub so that people Mm -hmm. who are maybe trying to can, you know, convince their friends or their organizations or whatever, like, hey, this is real. (laughs) Yeah. Or sometimes even like just learn. Yeah. yeah, As a parent, I think for me, like this journey, we're trying to get outside. We're trying to sort of at least have balance. That's what we're aiming for. But I, it's hard. It is so hard. My kids are asking for screens all the time in roundabout ways. So, you know, they know we we have our screens bound to certain times of the week, but they, well, I want to talk to so-and-so and and -and so-and-so playing a video game and they move they've moved away and I don't ever see them and you know can I make this can I it's so much (laughs) so I think as a parent to have these things to go back to is very helpful because it gives you a resolve and you talk about the next generations on there there's a lot of fantastic information yeah so I encourage people to check that out because it does arm you with some of the data around Mm -hmm. things and you can see like okay wow this is like this this may be you know, this amount of technology made up or using these platforms have these detrimental consequences. And, you know, maybe that's... Yeah, I mean, there was really interesting... It's not for me. (laughs) And there was really interesting things on there about attention and cognition, like the mere presence of your smartphone even when it is turned off and face down drains your attention. 
Who would have ever thought of that? Steve Jobs probably wasn't thinking of that. Yeah, no. And I think this is the point to like the how we co-evolve with these new devices and apps and everything is something we need to keep monitoring because it shifts over time. And I mean, I've that that point like is alarming. And I also know that if I'm like sitting at dinner and I see someone's phone, even face down on the table, like my attention goes to it. And mm. I'll even think about my phone. It's like, if you start to pay attention to these subtle cues, you realize your attention is just so easily drawn to these devices. Yeah. And the habits we can make can be very powerful, but they can also be very opaque to us. We're just not even aware of them, which is, yes, that's part of the reason we're yes. doing this work. Not aware, not aware that we even ha- need to have these conversations. There, another one under the attention cognition was that 75% of screen content is viewed for less than one minute. So that can make you think about what is this doing to our attention? We're just so scattered. That's the TikTok. Yes, absolutely. TikTok. I mean, we don't even know what that's going to do because it takes these things take time to play out and they take time to measure. So there's a delay effect between Mm -hmm. when something gets introduced and then when it gets widespread and what that does to us over time. Mm -hmm. But absolutely. We actually have a, there is a podcast episode. We have that, I believe with Gloria Marks on talking for about the, how attention in particular has been affected over the last Mm -hmm decade or so. Yeah. So you have this ledger of harms, which is very interesting, broken down by category, something that's really interesting for parents and educators to look at. Can you say the website URL one more time? Yes. So the our hub is humanetech.com. And then the ledger of harms is at ledger.humanetech.com. Okay. Just in case that helps you find it faster. Yeah, that's an easy place to find it. And then you also have a lot of the brain science. So that's at humanetech.com forward slash brain dash science. And what you go through there is what is what's going on in our brains here? Like, for example, <laughs> making the trivial seem urgent. And it talks about the col- even the color red. Yes. Yeah, so there's a reason our notifications on our phones are red. Um, it's because our eye will get drawn to them. And so part of what, again, part of what the a lot of these platforms are trying to do is they're trying to keep you using the app, using the service, using your phone. And so there are things you can do that we are primed for just as human beings. We're all just like susceptible to this that make it easier to grab our attention. And a simple but very effective one is that our brains are more attuned to the color red as like an alert. You know, that's why which makes you red. think. Yeah. And it makes you think about like, yeah. when if you were young, which maybe you're younger than I am. So maybe you never did this. But like we would go to the mall in like middle school and all the sale signs, if I think back, were red, you know, big for sale. Yes. Yeah, all in the window. Yeah. Everything's red. Yeah. So they're trying to catch your attention. And but that creates a sense of urgency. Like when we hear a ding, you know, for our phone, like there is that feeling of like, <gasps> like, I mean, it mm-hmm. actually creates like kind of a sense of urgency. And so, yeah, that's one of the ways that tech can hide hijack our brains is just by making these things that are actually whatever random app has a notification and I need to renew my terms of service. Like that's not urgent, but because of the way it's presented, it can feel urgent to my nervous system. And so that's, that's like, that's already on a more subtle body level. That's starting to change how we're, that's just starting to actually change our physiology, which is pretty wild. It is. And it's already hard enough to determine the difference between what is urgent and what is important. And that is Mm -hmm. a big consideration because that's how you manage your life. And if these things really aren't urgent and they're not, but they feel that way, I think they can take the place of some of the things that are very important. You also talk on the brain science page about how the technology encourages seeking, which I think this is super interesting about the dopamine. It encourages seeking, but you're not fulfilled. It's always the seeking. Mm -hmm. It's always the scrolling. Yes. There's the dop- dopamine and there's some interesting books on this too, but yeah, our, the dopamine is like the short-term burst, but there's lots of other feel-good chemicals that can happen in our body, like oxytocin, which is like the bonding chemical. And like, we need balance of different things, not just like the quick fix dopamine, but that's right. what tech is playing into is the quick fix dopamine. Um, and so it can like just dial up this addiction to the dopamine response, which I would say someone who, again, all my years in the corporate world, like you get addicted to email, like refreshing the email, did something happen or 
even just like getting a ping notification on Slack. Like we can just get really wired into that. And that's problematic too. Yeah. And this wording here is so powerful. It says technology often capitalizes on the potency of wanting, providing endless Mm -hmm. possibilities for seeking, but few experiences that satiate. And I think that everyone knows that. I mean, I think everyone feels that. It's like, this is a big thing. It's like, well, it takes more effort to go do something for 20 minutes, to pick up a book, to pick up your clarinet, to grab your paints, to whatever, to do something, to call up a friend and have a conversation. It takes more effort to do that, but you feel so much more fulfilled at the end of 20 minutes than if you were scrolling through your phone. The satisfaction is not there, even though we know it, but we still feel like it's going to be there. Yeah. And this is why I love the, you know, the mission of what you're working on about a thousand hours outside is because the good news is we can retrain our, we can retrain our brains. We can retrain how we view the world, how we operate in it. Like it can be cultivated. That's the great news. Mm -hmm. But time outside without a screen slows things down. I found that so much in my own personal life. In my free time, I spent a lot of time rock climbing and rock climbing is a sport where you really are not on your phone because you're doing something. You're either belaying someone or you're actively climbing. Yeah, and you can't it's, be uh, on it. Right. You have to slow down. And I so cherish those long days outside without looking at my phone because it like resets and refreshes my brain. And I can start to see the contrast of time without like not looking at device. And then like during a a day where I need to spend more computer time and I can see how easy it is to build these habits of like really quickly responding to things, even just switching tabs and like Google Chrome quickly, like something takes like a little too long to load and you're like, I'll just switch to that other tab or I'll switch to another app. I mean, that's, that is like building a behavior of, again, this like quick fix or wanting something where I think time that slowed down, like doing things like just being outside and being present, re it's, it's like a better wiring for our brain to like notice the small things and just like relax and not be in this like alert state so much. Yeah, it's almost like a reboot. And I have found, well, we started this podcast about 15 or 16 months ago. And as well, this is the tricky part. It's like, as a platform grows, the more pressure there is to spend time on technology that grows too, and just logistically. And so I've had times where I'll sit for a day of podcasts. And that's really neat because it's just conversations. But even still, it's through technology, it's through a screen, and then they'll end and I kind of feel lost what do I do now? Mm -hmm. And it's like, you need that reboot. And if you Mm -hmm. don't have it, then the easy thing is, oh, my phone's sitting over here. So I'm just going to check. And then your time has just gone down the drain. So uh, I like that reboot. You've done long reboots. I have done some long reboots. Like a 28 day (laughs) silent retreat. Yeah. Tell us about that. I've done some long reboots. Yeah. So I, um, I have done, the good news is you don't, let me preface this. Yeah. You don't have to do a 28 day silent retreat to benefit from some silence. You can take an hour in silence. Mm -hmm. You can take a day and you don't start with 28 days. Yeah. I started doing longer meditation retreats about six years ago. The first one I did was 10 days, which amazingly is actually designed for beginners where you sit in silence and practice learning how to meditate all day. And something in that experience just clicked with me. I was like, oh my gosh, I just feel so restored and refreshed. Not that it wasn't difficult at points, but I felt like it just slowed everything down in a way that allowed me to see very simple, beautiful things like, you know, just the beauty of like a sunrise or taste thing, like the crispness of like this apple and this like simple bite of something clearly there's no tech on these, those retreats. And I, I found it, it just like really profoundly shift started to shift my perspective towards the world and how you could live in the world. And then, yeah, over time I ended up doing, uh, I had some time off between jobs and I ended up doing a 28 day retreat at home, self-led retreat while I was during COVID, um, where I was silent and practicing on my own for about a month in my sunroom, primarily in my house, doing alternating walking and sitting meditation. And that was enough time for me, but it was also such a gift to have that extended amount of time. And what I found is a rich understanding of how the mind works from all this cumulative retreat, um, just time in silence and meditating and seeing how 
malleable it is and how much it can be cultivated and towards, you know, caring and kindness and simple appreciations and all much, how much it can also be susceptible to just whatever is in our environment. And that's what really got me focused on this tech stuff is so powerful and so much more powerful than people realize. So yeah, that's, I'm happy to talk about any of that, but the time off is so lovely. (laughs) When the skies open up, While others seek shelter, I embrace the rain. Heading to my favorite hike, the raindrops are like a soothing melody, and my Vessies ensure each step is dry and comfortable, turning a simple outing into a rather delightful experience. Whenever my kids and I are stepping into a great outdoors adventure, I love wearing Vessies Stormburst boots to capture the beauty of springtime landscapes. Their robust style is perfect for our nature excursions, adding a little dash of elegance to our outdoor explorations. This spring, transform how you view wet weather with Vessi. Their Dymatex technology makes their shoes not just waterproof, but a stylish barrier against rain and puddles. Whether it's a sudden downpour or a planned seaside walk, Vessi shoes ensure your feet stay dry and comfortable. Embrace the essence of spring with Vessi. From chic city walks to adventurous treks, find the perfect pair for your lifestyle at Vessi.com slash outside and enjoy an automatic 15% off your first order upon checkout. That's V-E-S-S-I dot com slash outside for 15% off your first order. Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot. And for me, that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do. But I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high-quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum-sealed and frozen at peak freshness, so you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. We had a somewhat last-minute get-together recently, and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chop's hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chop's price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com outside120 and use code outside120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That's code outside120 at goodchop.com outside120 for $120 off. Goodchop.com outside120 code outside 120. You said right before you started talking about it, which I thought was really interesting, is that the benefits, some of the benefits can be there, even if it's a smaller amount of time, even if it's a much smaller amount of time. And on the website on humanetech.com, there's a thought about if we fully disconnected, I thought this was really interesting. I've never heard this before. If we fully disconnected for one day per week, we would reduce, we would collectively be reducing time on social media platforms by 15%. And that would impact their bottom line. And Mm -hmm. I never really thought of or heard of anybody talking about a collective measure that we could do that would affect change from a financial standpoint. Yeah. I mean, they're making their money off ads. So if we're not on there, we're not selling ads. (laughs) Yeah. But but it absolutely can. And it's so, I mean, I think as people who do take little breaks know it's very restorative to take Mm -hmm. breaks and whether it's a day without a phone or away from screens or just talking about like a day and also adding silence into that, which can be really lovely practice just to kind of reset or just, you know, a couple hours. It's just such such a benefit from Mm -hmm. learning to be alone really and to be content being alone. And that's a really beautiful gift to have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, that thought that you're like, oh, I can do a little bit of something if I hop off. And if more people start to hop off for just periods of time, whatever, then it affects change because our attention is the business model. And so if we don't give our attention, then we affect the business model. Yeah. And this is the power of community too. Not only does it make it easier to change habits, but it also makes the impact a bit larger. And especially as more of our communication goes on to different platforms like 
you know, it's you know, messaging through Instagram or whatever it may be, then it can be very powerful to switch to different platforms as a group or to take detox breaks mm-hmm. as a group, whether that's through peer groups with kids or school's classroom or part of, you know, ideally the entire school <laughs> doing things, which sure. is ama- are amazing, amazing initiatives. Sure. So you have on the website, it's not all doom and gloom. There are a lot of great answers. And so you have this statement, many which is a surprising statement, many of the negative effects of new technology are preventable. That's a message of hope. Yeah. Yeah. The reason we're still doing this work is because we have hope that it can be changed. And we are seeing a lot of changes happening. I think people are viscerally feeling this This doesn't feel in balance. So how do we get things in balance and more values yeah. aligned? Yeah. And benefit of tech and especially software is it's you know, you can change it. It's lines of codes, like it can be rewritten. Uh, it doesn't mean it's easy. There's lots of factors in there. The business model being a very, very powerful one, just companies saying they're going to make money and needing to, but there, um, you know, it can be done. And there's, there are a handful of companies that just changing those companies would be so impactful for people worldwide. Yeah. There's billions of people using social media, for example, and mm-hmm. that's a lot of people. Yeah. And you even have a list of different apps, interestingly, right? Like finding technology that helps with the technology problem. Mm -hmm. But that is a cool thing that people are coming up with these solutions. I don't think I copied and pasted them down, but there was a whole list. Oh, no, I did. So while there was the option of removing toxic apps. So it was like, okay, instead of having TikTok, use Marco Polo or send a video message, something like that. But then there was all these apps on the website. Like this is one that you can use to block distractions. This is one that you can use to stay focused on your goals. This is the one that you can use to remove the blue light. Here's something that can help you set boundaries. And then there's all these other, there's really great ideas, Maria. Yeah, thanks. And I'll, I'll share one that I love that we haven't even put on the site yet. Someone just introduced me to. I think it's called One Second. You can add uh, an automation through your phone. This is like using the new phone features automations where it actually opens that app and pauses for a second before you go to a program you specify. So like, let's say you want a second delay before you go to Facebook. Um, so it'll set, you can set it up and it shows you how to do it. And when you try and open the Facebook app, it it prompts you to take a breath and it has a little screen and it says, okay, like one second. Now, do you still want to open the app? Wow. And then you can see this like habitual, it's like you kind of can break the habitual response. So I'm really liking that one. I think that's, um, I put it in front of my Gmail. So as I realized I was checking my email too much on my phone. Wow. Um, yeah, there's lots of, just like pay attention to our little habits. Like even things I do, like when I'm having off time, I just like delete my work email completely from my phone, which I already find. And then I notice I'll try and go to it. You know, it's like, yeah, it's like where like we have to memory. find our own little habits. Yeah. Where are mm-hmm. our own personal habits, like where things either get a little bit boring or whatever, or, and we're like, where do I go? Mm-hmm. And we've all got our own little pathways. So it's right. like just being aware of those pathways is really powerful. And it's interesting to me too. Like there are so many brilliant people in the world who came up with that one second app. What a cool idea. Know. Yeah, we should give them. We should isn't that neat? Give them a shout out. Yeah, yeah. I, like I mean, that really, that's brilliant because sometimes things are so automatic. But if you take that second to really think about, it, is this really what I want to spend my time with? And actually, that was one of the parts I really loved about your website. There's answers. So, like I said, it's not just here's the problems. You have a lot of answers, and they're all in question form. A lot of them, not all, but all these questions, which as a parent of a teenager is extremely helpful because these are conversation topics. So you have this be wise, which I think is clever because it's like the wise, W-H-Y-S, but also you're trying to be wise. And you have all these questions about, is this enhancing my life? And then you have a section about, is all screen time equal? Does this feel like gambling? Why am I posting this? How would I feel if no one likes this? I mean, really interesting questions. Mm -hmm. Remembering that tech is a trade. Is this worth it? Is this time well spent? Which, Tristan, did it used to be called time well spent? Yes, that was the movement that predated, I should have mentioned that in the overview, but like pre-2018, it was called time, before it was Center for Humane Technology, it was time well spent movement. The Yeah, he coined that term. And then uh, then you later found the, the you know, Facebook saying like, we need more time, like, Time well spent on the platform. It's like, okay, well, are we really getting there? But uh, they seem so different. Time well spent seems so different than Center for Humane Technology. But the correlation there is we can't spend our time well if we don't have a handle on technology. So I like that. 
I like the way the two intertwine, even though they seem very different. And then you talk about being proactive, like we have to be intentional or tech will take the reins. Did I connect with the people I wanted to this week? Did I put in the effort? Did I sleep enough? All of these things that we should be thinking about. And you talk about in there also about being skeptical. Does this bring value? What's interesting to me is that you're also, you're bringing the ethical conversation into the home. Yes. And I think that we do want people to have conversations around these topics and recognize that it can be, it's difficult. There's a lot of peer pressure to use phones, to use apps, to play certain, you know, video games with friends. There's, it's very difficult for people to navigate, for kids to navigate, for parents to navigate. So the, the youth toolkit is that is designed for you know, great for high schoolers, middle schoolers to for parents to read through it and see what they can use like conversation starters or there's teacher teachers who are out there who are interested in it. Mm. What you know what we found doesn't work is you shouldn't do this because X, Y, and Z. Right? What is better mm. is here's how these platforms are manipulating behavior and taking advantage of the brain because people don't want to be manip- No one wants to be manipulated. Right? People want to feel like they have advocacy and choice, and so starting to understand understand how platforms are manipulating them, are persuading them, can be a powerful unlock. And then having these powerful questions can be another way for people to, uh, for young people to start to reflect on like, okay, how's, how is this affecting my choices? Mm. What kind of person am I showing up as when I'm posting on Instagram? Like, who am I when I'm doing that? Am I like the best version? Do I feel like the best version of myself? Or am I maybe looking for attention or feeling lonely? Yeah. I have said before, but I can't even imagine growing up this way and having the constant eyes on what you're doing, constantly seeing what everyone else is doing. I think that teen years are already hard enough. So to have this basically 24-7, yeah. I can't really even totally comprehend it. Yeah, I also cannot because I had a hard enough teenage years without yeah. this uh, social comparison being yeah. there and distraction, quick dopamine fix distraction being there. Yeah, I really, I, I mean, part of a huge motivator for our work is just young people and thinking about how we can change things. And again, like Mm -hmm. good news is that we can, our brains are plastic, like we Mm -hmm. can mold them, we can keep learning and growing. So there's a lot of hope just there. And then I think people are really starting to wake up to like, this is out of balance. This is out of whack. Mm -hmm. We've got to change. And you guys are out in the forefront, leading the way and providing resources that parents and educators really need and are very useful. So once again, you're at humanetech.com. It's a center for humane technology. Together, we must align technology, humanity's best interest. Did I write that right? Yeah, with him, yeah, humanity's best interest. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was missing a word because that didn't make sense. <laughs> Together, <laughs> with- <laughs> there we go. Together, we must align technology with humanity's best interests. Who decides what humanity's best interests are? Oh, that's a that's a big one. I think we should. That's why we collectively need to be involved in this as an issue because we need to decide what it is for us. But right now, what it is is it's uh, people in again can be very well intentioned people, but just maybe not thinking about the bigger picture, thinking about ethical questions or human psychology, who are focused on developing some software and then that's getting fed into a bigger corporate machine. So that's we need to broaden who's involved in this topic. Right. And because, yeah, a, because I think the majority of people don't even know what's going on. It's such an interesting topic. Yeah, it affects us all. So, And this is a really important point. One thing I want to make clear is that, that even if you were like, I went off, I'm not on any of these apps, like no problem for me. The tech, social media in particular is affecting our society. And so that affects us, even if we're not directly mm. using things. Because even if we're off, awesome and that's like you know you feel like we've got balance you've got feel like you've got balance in your life amazing yeah you just can't um, I mean as, especially as a parent and this is the big thing so <laughs> I'll tell you this story our oldest son is 14 so we don't have a phone yet he's in ninth grade I mean we ha- we are holding out Maria I mean we have held out way longer than I think a good portion of you people have. <laughs> so, so he can communicate with his friends through an email address. He has some email address. I I think that's so it all he tells him I feel like an awful parent. But all the time he's like, Mom, he's like, people ask what my phone number is. He's like, and I have to give them an email address to use. And he's it's like but he's the oddball out. Poor thing. Okay. Yeah. But we're grappling with it all the time. And that's your point. It's like, well if we've decided as a family, look, you know what, we're not doing it. Like you're still confronted with it all the time. 
<laughs> all the time. So that's a really good point is to be involved, to be aware, to try and affect change within your circle of people, not just yourself and maybe not even just your own immediate family, because we're all being affected by this and affected quite a lot. <laughs> so yeah, it's tricky. But it, it is. But I mean, what a what a beautiful example you have just with your own experience. I'm, I'm feeling inspired just hearing your story saying your kid's been off since hasn't had a phone and he's 14. So yeah. that's uh, we do. We get a lot from sharing our experiences yeah. with others. So just having conversations is super powerful. Yeah, for sure. So humanetech.com, you have fantastic information in there. We went over the ledger. We talked about some of the answers. We talked about the youth toolkit. We talked about the documentary, The Social Dilemma, which has been translated into 30 languages. Incredible. It's phenomenal. A great one, I think, to watch with older kids so that they understand what's going on. And then you have the podcast called Your Undivided Attention, a top tech podcast. Did I miss anything? The gold and the class, the course. Yes, the course, Foundations of Humane Tech. Um, we designed it for people working in tech, but we we have moms taking it. We have teachers taking it. We have young people taking it. It's free. You can poke around. It's all self-paced. We do do some uh, free online virtual events too mm. for the community. Um, and it teaches, again, it's non-technical. It's just teaching, again, like the, the mental models. You learn a lot about the, the mind if you t- go through the course content. But yeah, just different ways of approaching how you could design something, which we think is, is broadly yeah. applicable beyond just tech products too. Well, thank you for doing this. I was so excited because I've been thinking about it for months since reading that Digital Madness book and how he goes through just a lot of the ethical questions, which I never thought of. And like, who's slowing these people down and sort of what is our responsibility there? And I think he raised up a really good point that our responsibility does not just lie within the walls of our home that it lies beyond. And so I greatly appreciate this. I know that you're busy, that you have this amazing nonprofit organization. And so I really appreciate you taking this hour. And we always end our podcast with something non-tech, a favorite memory of yours from childhood that was outside. Yeah, uh, I have so many. I was very fortunate to play a group in Texas. We had some woods behind our house and I spent a lot of time in the woods. And so a lot of my happy childhood memories are either being alone in the woods or with our neighbor friends and uh, finding scrap lumber and building forts. We loved building forts and having all of our friends come play in them and play in tree houses Mm. out in these woods behind our house. And just lots of long summer days outside. Mm -hmm. Hot, hot summer just, days, I would imagine. Yeah. Hot, yeah, but you go in the pool a little bit, Aww. go back and forth. But yeah, it was uh, just peaceful time. Yeah, stuff. the best of childhood right there. Well, thank you, Maria. I really mm-hmm. appreciate you being on. Thank you. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. 